Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schneebly and Toff. One of the things I love about doing a podcast, and this has happened numerous times on Box of Oddities, and, and now it's happening with the shallow end, and that's when we do a story and then somebody directly connected to that story reaches out and says, Hey, I'm directly connected to that story. Directly involved, yeah. Or words to that effect. Always loved that when it happened on Box. And so when we got this email this week, uh, it was the same situation where I thought, I can't believe it. I was passed the email by uh, by the lifeguard. And of course, the email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. And the lifeguard forwarded me this email. And the subject line was, that's my dad, with lots of A's and D's and exclamation marks. <laughs> From uh, Kiri Schmidt. And Kiri writes, Holy shit, when you said my dad's name, I about shit my heart through my pants! Exclamation mark. <laughs> Guys, I apologize for the vulgarity. I just get so excited anytime my dad gets a mention. I was driving to work while listening to episode 38 when Schnebley read the headline and I knew exactly what he was about to tell us. I had to pause the episode and wait to get to work so I can send this email. My dad is Lynn Weirdwolf Schmidt. I'm his daughter, Kiri Strange Cub Schmidt. We knew Chief Saholic, and again, this is going back to the previous episode where the uh, Kansas City Chiefs fan turned out to be, uh, well, not quite what he appeared to be. Right, right. Even though he was always wearing a mask. We knew Chief Saholic, or at least we thought we did. My dad was... My dad, way more than me. Chief Saholic was one of those guys that you couldn't help but get along with. He was charismatic and friendly. Overall, he seemed like a decent guy and a proper representation of the Chief's superfans. He kind of gave me the creeps because I never saw his face, and that weirds me out. Yeah, I get that. I think we even commented on that. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. A rubber mask uh, instead of a person's face. That's uh, that. That might be a sign that... You might want to back off. When we got the call about what he did, the supervans, super fans were blown out of the water. We were shocked and honestly betrayed. Chiefs fans are known as the most avid and loudest fans in the NFL, and we pride ourselves in that. We have an image to uphold, and Chiefsaholic put a stain on it. But now he has to sit in a jail cell and miss an amazing Chiefs Super Bowl win. Sucks to suck, huh? Now, there are a couple of things I do want to clear up about Chief Saholic because he got way more credit than he's due. Firstly, he's not the leader of the superfans, nor is he the most well-known or ferocious fans. And I love this part. Those titles belong to my dad. Nice. Weird Wolf has been going to every Chief's home game dressed up with full face paint since, get this, 1998. I used to go with him starting at the age of seven, dressed up, face paint, 
and all right alongside him, I was called Strange Cub. Those are some of my best childhood memories with him. My favorite was in 2003 when he was the only Chiefs superfan to be inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame right along with Marcus Allen, my favorite player of all time. Oh, my God. And the late up. great coach Hank Stram. That day was magical and one I'll never forget. My dad was also the fan chosen to be flown to California this year to be in the Apple Music commercial for the Super Bowl, he closes the commercial out with his famous and iconic wolf howl. If, I saw that. Yeah, that, yeah. Wow. It's a small world. True. Truly. Uh, she goes on to say, in conclusion, I truly believe it's because of my dad that our stadium holds the Guinness World Record as the loudest stadium in the league. And you can hear that howl from across the field. He's <laughs> such an avid fan that he planned his open heart surgery last year right after the Super Bowl so he could recover in time and be right back in the stands cheering our boys in red. In closing, I could go on and on about him because I'm so damn proud of him, but this email's run long enough and I'm sure Kat's getting very bored with all this football talk. I'll close it with a few photos. The first is my dad and me in 1999 when I was only eight years old at a game. The second is when the Chiefs went to the Super Bowl in 2020 and we celebrated at Union Station where I got to bring my oldest child, nicknamed Red Pup. The last pick is me and my dad now dressed up in full regalia. I go with him when I can, and I hope to keep going for many more years to come. Thank you so much for this podcast. It brightens my day and also makes me feel like not so much of a dumbass. Stay out of the shallow end, friends. And if you need yep, money, yep. don't rob a bank for it. Go Chiefs. Love, Curie. Thank you, Curie, so much. It's incredible. God bless you and your dad and all the Chiefs uh, super fans. Yeah, and congratulations on a on a on a great win on a great Super Bowl win. Nicely done. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think I'm I'm going first. The segues because I've yes. got I've got another sports story, which is is one of the most unusual sports stories I think I have read in my adult life, and it it happens really? in Danville, Illinois. Fans filed into the rink for a minor league hockey game. Vendors sold concessions. The visiting team took the ice for warm-ups. Background music was playing. Finally, it got time for the game. National anthem gets played. All the fans stand. Then they sit at the end of the anthem. Officials are ready to drop the puck. There's just one problem. The home team did not show up. What? Huh. What? This bizarre scene unfolded early this month in what was supposed to be a Southern Professional Hockey League game in Danville, Illinois. This was between the visiting Quad City Storm. I love that team name. And the host, Vermilion County Bobcats. Quad City, that that reminds me of Quad City DJs and Come On, Ride the Train. Remember that song? Sure. Woo, woo. Anyway, go ahead. Does that date us? Maybe just a skosh? <laughs> Maybe a skosh. Skosh. Is it a skosh or skosh? I think it's a skosh. Skosh. Yeah. All right. Skosh it is. So anyway, after a two-minute delay of game penalty and a five-minute waiting period, <laughs> the game was declared a forfeit. Now, I'm picturing wow. myself sitting in the stands, particularly if I have driven, uh, you know, a, a few hours, and, and some of these people drove up to three hours just to attend this game. And you're sitting there, and at some point, you've got to realize, maybe 10 minutes before game time, why is only one team on the ice? Mm. That's that's weird. So I'm picturing what, what was it like where they actually are past the starting period, 
and there's a two-minute delay of game penalty, and finally, a five-minute waiting period goes by, and you know, you're seven minutes past start time, and game's over. So the visitors, this is really cool, the Quad City Storm tried to give fans their money's worth by inviting them onto the ice for what was supposed to be a post-game group skate before the visiting team made their three-hour drive back home. So the Quad City Storm president, a guy named Brian Rothenberger, and he says, quote, This was a very weird weekend, certainly one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. So what's going on? Well, there are now concerns that Vermilion County Bobcats, they were the host, they had lost 77 of their past 86 games in only two years of existence, and there's now concern that they might actually be folding in the middle of the season, which would reduce the number of teams from 11 to 10 in the Southern Professional Hockey League. And that would put them a rung below the ECHL in the North American Hockey League right after the NHL in the American Hockey League. So reporters have been trying to figure out what's going on. They've been, they've been making phone calls. They've been sending emails. They're seeking details, clarification. And as we are going to press, none of these answers have come. In fact, the team owner, Ellen Tully, hasn't returned any phone calls. The only public announcement read, the Southern Professional Hockey League on Sunday announced that the Quad City at Vermilion County game scheduled for Sunday, February 5th, has been declared a forfeit in favor of Quad City. This pursuant to Rule 73.3 of the SPHL rulebook. So these guys just didn't even show didn't up. Didn't bother to show up. And this was a home game? This was a home was game a- for, for <laughs> the Vermilion County Bobcats. It's their rink. Wow. And the Quad City storm that drove three hours each way, you know, shows up and the home team doesn't. So people are thinking... Well, that's just bad form. It's, it's rude. It's just rude. As we used to say at Disney, this is bad show. <laughs> people are wondering if this is the end for this, this team, the Vermilion County Bobcats. And it's interesting. Now, now Danville uh, is in eastern Illinois. It's 93 miles outside of Indianapolis. But as everything happens in this day and age in 2023 video of this whole event or non-event starts going viral so now you've got videos all over the place on youtube you've got one team standing on half the rink (laughs) and an empty bench and net uh and on the other side you know you've got it's it's like salt and pepper you've got You've got a, a team and their empty bench. And then on the other side, you've got an empty bench and no team because they didn't even show up. So a guy named Chuck Sargent, he's a hockey lifer in Danville. He worked as vice president and uh, head of marketing for the Vermilion County, uh, did public relations for the Vermilion County team from August through December of last year. He said, quote, I was not surprised that it happened at all. Now, that's pretty damning right there. He had known of deteriorating conditions within the team, including concerns over inadequate medical personnel on site for games. And he figured that something was going on when uh, a problem, he figured a problem was imminent when the Bobcats were replaced as the opponent for road games at Quad City 
on the preceding Friday and Saturday. So this guy Rothenberger and the uh, owner, John Dawson, accompanied players and coaches on this trip because they knew things might be a little strange. Things might be hanky. And he said the league told the storm, go about your regular business, take the ice as usual because that's standard procedure, even though, nope, home team's not here yet. But fans who weren't, even those not paying close attention, they didn't know what was going on. This guy, Sergeant, Chuck Sargent, said he had a good idea and he wanted to be there to talk to season ticket holders that he brought in during his stint with the club. He said, it hurt me so bad to watch the arena, which was not their fault, keep selling tickets to a game that they had a gut feeling knowing darn well it was never going to happen. It's just sad. Wow. So sure enough, the Vermilion coach didn't show up. No trainer showed up. One player from the Vermilion County Bobcats showed up to... Did he not get the memo? From the- <laughs> and I wondered, all right, is is that... How does that work? Is that like a series of phone calls? Hey, guys, don't show up. And this one guy doesn't believe it. And, yeah, right. and he shows up. Come on, guys. <laughs> this isn't funny, damn it. I know you're in there. I'm getting paid $27 a game. So while the official attendance was listed at zero, <laughs> the fans who paid... Anywhere from seven to thirteen dollars per ticket for a game that never happened, they did still get to step onto the ice and go skating with visiting players from Quad oh, City. That's, now, that's here's good. what's really cool: Quad City, as we said, drives three hours to a game that ends up not not being played at all. Quad City actually sticks around to skate with the fans who did yeah. show up. This isn't even your fans. They are now. <laughs> Nicely played, JG. That's just good PR. So Rothenberger says, quote, this is really what minor pro sports is all about. Talking about how the the Quad City Storm skated with the hometown fans. Adding that the (laughs) the team did stop for McDonald's and they got some cold beverages for the ride home. (laughs) They were excited to be able to do it. I think it meant a lot to the fans that were there, especially some of the younger kids who'd been looking forward to that post-game skate. They still still got to do it, and they hope that in some kind way they can keep interest up in hockey and move forward getting things maybe a little more stable in Vermilion County. I just think that's such a cool thing that... The yeah. visiting team takes the time to do that in hopes j- just to better the sport of hockey and try and kind of remove some of the sour taste that would understandably be in the home team's fans' mouths after mm. their home team just blows them off, doesn't even show up. So anyway, uh, this this gentleman, Sergeant, who was involved with other teams in Danville, like the Dashers of the Federal Prospects Hockey League and wings of the North American Hockey League, he thinks Vermilion County is done. They're just not going to ever play another game. They're absolutely done, he says. And after what happened Sunday, what they did to the fan base, they're done. I've never, I've never ever heard of a team, I mean, I'm, uh, it has to have happened, just not showing up. But clearly, I could understand if, you know, there's like mechanical trouble. Uh, you know, your your bus breaks down 
Sure. But even yeah, then, you're you're the home team. To not even send somebody there to say, hey, sorry, guys, no game today. To just not show up. And to keep selling tickets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in fact, even a few afternoons later, tickets were still on sale for remaining home and road oh games for that team. But What is going on there? Cray cray. I got yeah, this from indeed. the Associated Press. So uh, keep in mind... In Danville, make sure a team's going to show up before you plunk down yeah. your hard-earned money for a game. There is no joy in Danville. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> JG on all all four burners today. Uh, also, uh, is your is your phone on silent or because I heard <laughs> I heard a text tone come through. Well, I appreciate the embarrassment, JG. I hope you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one. Oh, sure. Just my co-host and the listeners. <laughs> I'm out here by myself all alone. Damn it. I'm a damn no. naked man. Shamed into silencing my devices. Well, well, somebody actually wrote in and thought that we were sending some sort of secret code. Yeah, it was a cryptic kind of message, like we were being held against our will. No cryptic messages, I promise. This is your friendly lifeguard with a public service announcement. Stay out of the fucking deep end. You know, JG, this is the time of year where people start planning family reunions for the summer. In fact, I have one coming up in June, and I'm absolutely convinced that these cousins that I haven't seen for a while are finally going to tell me, yeah, I listened to your podcast. I don't think you guys are very good. I didn't laugh. Well, humor is subjective. So while you may have to grin and bear with your family, you shouldn't feel that way when you're talking to your doctor about, I don't know, that you maybe eat pizza one too many times a week, something like that. Well, enter ZocDoc. That's the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable and actually listen to you. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. And we're not talking about a few. We're talking about tens of thousands of doctors. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Look, people love this app and this website. Next time I'm looking for a doctor, this is definitely what I'm going to use. Go to ZocDoc.com slash TSE and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash T-S-E. ZocDoc.com slash T-S-E. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You're in the shallow end with Schnappley and Toth. <laughs>
You love the taste of Mexican food. And you love the way your mouth feels after you brush your teeth and gargle with mouthwash. Well, now you can have the best of both. Introducing new Comida Fresca toothpaste, cutting-edge toothpaste that tastes like your favorite Mexican food. Choose from new flavors like frijoles refritos with spearmint, huevos rancheros, and peppermint. And our boldest flavor yet, tacos al carbón with zesty blue ice. Comida Fresca toothpaste should not be used in place of real Mexican food as it has no nutritional value. Plus, it doesn't crunch like tortilla chips or taco shells. Children should not use Comida Fresca without supervision as they may attempt to ingest the entire tube. Comida Fresca may lead to craving actual Mexican food. If this happens, discontinue use and go eat real Mexican food. Brushing your teeth has never tasted this good. New Comida Fresca toothpaste es muy delicioso. Just a shout out to a friend of the podcast, a dear friend of ours, a woman named Anna Author. Um, Anna is an accomplished actress and also a uh, writer, director. In fact, shameless plug, she and my wife, Nan, uh, are writing partners and have now completed two different screenplays. But Anna lent her voice to that uh, parody commercial and check out her website when you get a chance. It's AnnaAuthor.com. That's A-N-A-A-U-T-H-E-R.com. Thanks. A shout out of the shallow end hat to Anna for kicking that in. Our very first guest artist on the shallow end. It's an honor. Anna. Author. (laughs) I'm tired. I understand. Maybe telling us a story would perk you up. Oh, I would. But uh, the reason I'm tired is because I put together uh, another uh, listener story about their shallow end experience. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear it. Here it comes now. Hey there, shallow end family. My name is Hunter, and this is a story of how I waded into the shallow end and I almost ended up swimming in the ocean. Love the name Hunter. The year was 1999. My family had just bought a boat from Mexico and decided to sail to French Polynesia. We were in day eight of our trip when my dad busted out a bag of fireworks for New Year's. Now, I was nine at the time, and I was already known for being a pyromaniac, so I was not allowed to use fireworks, <laughs> let alone even hold a box of matches. But it was New Year's, and so we decided, let's light off some fireworks. So my dad had just gotten this really fancy pair of pliers from my mom for his birthday. They were like $200 Gorilla Grip, wow. nicest you can get. Wow. So they're all holding these M80s with the super nice pliers. Someone else would light it, and they would throw the firework overboard and watch it explode in the water. Well, around came my turn. I was last. My dad said, I don't know if this is such a good idea. Mind you, he had just let my sister, who's three years younger than me, do the exact same thing. But eventually he gave in, handed me the pliers, lit the M80, and I panicked and dropped the M80 directly into the bag of other M80s and bottle rockets that was sitting on the deck. Jeez. And then threw the pliers overboard because I knew something had to go over there. Long story short, every single one of the fireworks in that bag went off. And of course, being on a boat, there's nowhere to hide. So all we could do was just pick up the boat cushions that we had that we were sitting on, hold them up in front of our faces, and hope for the best. <laughs> My mom was sleeping at the time, and one of the bottle rockets shot right down the cabin way and exploded next to her face. She was very unhappy about that. <laughs> Once all the fireworks we thought had been done, we all asked, is it over? And we slowly lowered the boat cushions down and we heard one more fuse going off. So we said, take cover. And we all put the, the cushions back in front of our face and a bottle rocket shot straight at my dad, hit the cushion that he was holding and blew it up right out of his hands. Luckily, no one lost any digits and we we're just fine. 
Looking back on it, it's kind of funny. At the time, everybody was really mad at me. I'm still not allowed to use fireworks. Been listening to the Shallow End since day dot. Absolutely love you guys. Thanks for everything. Thank you, Hunter. Wow. That's priceless. I love wow. the line. Now, I was known as a bit of a pyromaniac. <laughs> yeah. I love the fact that uh, his mom bought his dad $200 pair of pliers. I didn't know there was such a thing. I want a $200 pair yeah. of pliers. Yeah. You, we're tool guys, you and me. Any listener who uh, has a couple of extra $200 pairs of pliers sitting around, yeah. send them on in. Preferably some that haven't been fished from the bottom of the uh, French Polynesian Sea. Yeah. I also liked when he said, I, I knew something had to go in the water, so I thought I'd throw the pliers. <laughs> you know, I that's something I would do. I would get everything totally mixed up. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the live explosive <laughs> goes right in the bag with the other live explosives, and the pliers go overboard. That name always reminds me of a story that my sister Lisa told me years and years ago when my niece, Sedona, who was maybe third, second, third grade, Lisa goes to pick Sedona up from school. Sedona gets into the backseat of the car and says that a friend of hers uh, has a new baby brother and uh, they named him Killer. And Lisa <laughs> thinks, Killer? And doesn't say anything for a few seconds, and Sedona pauses and then says, or maybe it was Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one or the other. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but. it was a weird day at the Vatican uh, <laughs> in 1972. Now, that's a segue. Thank that you. That is a segue, pal. Nicely done. A strange-looking Hungarian geologist wearing a tuxedo uh, entered St. Peter's Basilica. You could actually end the story right there, because just the visual <laughs> is so cool. <laughs> he promptly took out a sledgehammer, jumped over the velvet rope, screamed, I am Jesus Christ risen from the dead, and began taking the sledgehammer to Michelangelo's Piata. Oh, I remember this story. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, this was this was this was something. He knocked off the Madonna's left arm and chipped her nose and veil. Now talk about bad show and rude, huh? Oh my goodness. The Renaissance masterpiece is now, because of this attack in nineteen seventy two, protected behind bulletproof glass. Smart move. And I wanted to take a moment to say the man's name was Laszlo Toth, but no relation oh, to me. You sure? Pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. He was an inspiration, though, for uh, Don Novello, Father Guido Sarducci, Sarducci, sure, who wrote a bunch of crazy uh, complaint letters to corporations under the name of Laszlo Toth. Uh, it's a book. It's called The Laszlo Letters. It's I have, hilarious. I have a copy of that book, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever read in my life. So his attack caused millions of dollars in damage, and Toth was institutionalized in an Italian asylum for a couple of years. Uh, he was then released with no charges. They did not press charges. Really? But he was sent back to his home country. No charges. I guess they figured he, yeah, he, you know, he was not mentally ill, and so they just, he was institutionalized for a couple of years, and I guess they felt that that was, uh, that was sufficient. Talk about forgiveness. Well, thank God that type of vandalism doesn't happen anymore. Or does it? Dun, dun, dun. Actually, there have been a spate 
of vandalisms involving iconic Roman architecture and priceless art at the Vatican as of late. Really? Just this past year. I didn't know that. Back in July, this past July, a tourist from Canada was arrested when she attempted to carve her name into the Colosseum. Oh, Canada. Interesting side note, uh, when they were restoring the Madonna's arm from the 1972 attack, they also found initials carved in the crease of Madonna's hand. They were Michelangelo's. Holy cow, really? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, he signed his work. He just carved it right in the crease of her hand. Wow. In June of last year, two American tourists were caught on closed-circuit television hurling an electric scooter down the uh, Spanish steps. Rude. This ridiculous act caused more than $26,000 worth of damage to one of the most famous sites in Rome. Oh, my gosh. And uh, they they were fined and sent home, but no jail time there. Wow. It's crazy. And then there's this story. A 65-year-old American tourist was visiting one of the Vatican's Museums. Okay. He was visiting the Museo Chiaramonte this past October. It was Wednesday, in fact, October the 5th at about noon. And he was wandering through the museum and he seemed to be part of a group, but he was just, he kind of was tagging along with a uh, tourist group. He wasn't part of it. After touring uh, a part of the museum and, and taking in a lot of priceless art that's on display, he decided that he wanted to pop in and say hi to the Pope. <laughs> Well, you can't blame him for that. Who wouldn't? Yeah. Pope Francis seems like a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Unfortunately, his impromptu request was denied by museum security. Hmm. So the unnamed man became quite belligerent, and he insisted that they take him to see the Pope, the Pope, the Pope immediately. Uh, it was uh, undetermined what was so urgent and why he needed to see Pope Francis. Um, maybe he thought, uh, well, you know, I'm in the neighborhood and it's just the, the the polite thing to do. I'll just pop in for some muffins and tea and say hello in a neighborly fashion. Sure. Unfortunately, security still insisted that he could not go visit the Pope. That's when the unnamed man went on a rampage. In a CNN report, which cited local media, He continued demanding an audience with the Pope as he threw a Roman bust on the floor in anger. He he then attempted to flee the scene and security officers and staff members gave chase. As the man was running down the hallway, he shoved another ancient Roman bust off its base uh, to the floor. According to a spokesman for the Vatican, in a statement, quote, he said, The person who knocked down the statues was stopped by the Vatican police and has been handed over to Italian authorities. A report in Reuters news service says other guests reported that the man had been behaving oddly leading up to his request for (laughs) the Pope's audience. I'm shocked. (laughs) The uh, Museo Chiaramonte is billed as having one of the world's finest collections of Roman art. The hall inside the museum is home to about a hundred ancient Roman busts and statues. The two busts that were smashed on the floor were damaged, but not severely, according to the spokesman. Mm. His name was Matteo Alessandrini. What a great name. That's a fantastic name. Quote, one of the busts lost a part of a nose and an ear. The head of the other came off its pedestal. Hmm. The busts were affixed to shelves with a nail, but if you pull them down with force, they will come off. 
Although the museum is known for its collections of fine Roman artwork, these particular statuaries involved in this vandalism um, incident are considered minor works or secondary in nature. So Interesting. Not, not real valuable. Um, they, the, the museum is full of far more valuable pieces. But regardless, these, according to Artnet, these two pieces were over 2,000 years old. And the guy just throws a hissy fit because he can't go hang out with the Pope and starts <laughs> shoving statues. This will show him. This will get me in to see the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> the shattered pieces have been taken to the restoration lab at the museum for repair. These incidents gave rise to the popular phrase, when in Rome, don't do as American tourists do. <laughs> I think we've all said that from one time Haven't we? to another. Absolutely. My information came from the New York Post, Reuters, CNN, and Art News. Um, what? Hmm, there's got to be something going on there. He, he's he's got one foot off the curb. I yeah, think, and, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's not all there. That is not all there. I would really love to know what he wanted to talk to the Pope about, though. Yeah. When you were talking about the um, the Vatican Museum, it reminded me of the visiting the museum, the Vatican museums, and the Sistine Chapel. And the tour guide that we had telling us about Michelangelo, who agreed to do this work, these these frescoes on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, but he didn't want anybody to look at it. And the Pope at the time, Julius II, who was a little bit of a, in hindsight, kind of a kind of a hothead and a and a me monster, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he said. Uh, no, I, I'm going to come in every night and, you know, essentially approve your work. And Michelangelo's like, nah, not for me. Thanks. Find somebody else. <laughs> and so finally, Julius says, okay, all right, I, I won't check your work. Here's the only key and gives Michelangelo the key. And Michelangelo thought, I won. I got the only key. And of course, every you know night after Michelangelo left, Julius would go in with another key and <laughs> look at the work and go, okay, yeah, this looks good, yeah. and sneak yeah. out. But uh, That's hilarious. Yeah. It's good to be Pope and have a key. It certainly is. I am really loving getting the recordings of stories of people's encounter in the shallow end. And uh, please, if you have one and you've been thinking about uh, recording it on your phone and sending it in, but you've been hesitant to, don't send it in we would love to hear it and you could uh, you could end up in a future episode the email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com just record it on your phone and uh email that bad boy to us we really appreciate it look forward to hanging out with you next time remember make good choices your life might depend on it so concludes another episode of the shallow end with schnebley and toff We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Okay, gotta go.